Hello, and welcome to the Church 860 podcast. My name is Pastor Chris, and I'm the lead pastor of Church 860 located in Westerville, Ohio. Our podcast will have daily episodes uploaded where we have curated some of the best Bible teaching from across the globe. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Father, we do thank you and praise you for being an awesome God. We do pray that these things would sink deep into our hearts and into our minds, the things that are said here tonight. Father, we want to learn. We want to be wise. We want to have an inheritance, Father, in front of us, something that we can just receive, Father, because we're, we're, we're your children. I pray that our legacy would not be shame, Father, but we would go forward into the things that you have for us. And Father, help us to change our lives. Help us to receive these words. Help things to make a difference, Father, day by day in the life that we lead and live. Uh, we thank you, Father. We just pray that your spirit would be here today. Open our hearts and minds. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So uh, as we've been going through Proverbs, we have to remember that Solomon wrote these. Solomon, who is supposedly the wisest man that ever lived. Solomon, who inherited, inherited a, a fortune from his father. He inherited a legacy of being a king of Israel. And as a king of Israel, his father David built Israel to, as they use that term, the zenith. The greatest, the climax of all that Israel was, was the glory days of David, King David, a thousand years B.C. And so his son takes over. And we're going to see his son doesn't quite follow in his father's footsteps. I think he leads a life of insanity as he almost tries everything. He looks at everything. He has 700 wives. He has 300 concubines. That's staggering to think about that concept alone. Uh, not to think of the sexual side of that, but to think of that every woman, that if a, a, a woman marries the king, no one can ever touch her for the rest of this woman's life. That would be treason and, you know, you'd be put to death for. I, I don't know. I don't know if I'd want to have a thousand people that are, are solely dedicated to you for the rest of your life. That's an awesome responsibility. Weird how that works. Solomon, he's filthy rich. He's got billions and billions of just cold, hard cash. He I mean, he's got the gold. They said gold was all over the place and that silver during that time was as common as stones. And, you know, he had bronze, he made the works, he did everything. God gave him intelligence. He prayed to God. He said, God, I don't know how to fill my father's shoes. Help me. And God made him wise. And so he understood botany. He understood science. He understood so many different things in his day. He says that he explored, if you were with us when we went through the book of Ecclesiastes, which is him kind of ranting and raving, saying, I've looked at all the different avenues of life. I, I, I've looked at pleasure. I've looked at drunkenness. I've looked at all the things that you could ever look at. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Been there, done that, got the T-shirt. And he's telling you, at the end of his life, there's nothing to it. The only thing that matters is at the end of your life, you can turn around and say, there is a God, I've lived for God, and I know that I can have peace for eternity. And for any of us that have been there as a church, we all have our B.C. days. We have days in our lives that we can look back at before Christ was in my life. 
And I look at all the things that I was pursuing and seeking after, and it was a waste. It was vanity. It was, it was just a waste of time. And, and we have to come to that point, as Solomon does, to look at some of the things of the world and say, vanity of vanities, it's all a, a waste of time. The only thing that really matters is to know that you're right with your God, you have peace in your heart, and that God and you can spend eternity together. And that is what true riches are. And so Solomon, in his, his, his years, is, he uses this tone of passing down to a son. And he says, son, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, you've got to live a, a life this way. And it's sad to look at history to realize that he gave his kingdom to this guy Rehoboam. And then Rehoboam, his son, turned around and really played such a fool. He turned around and was twice the taskmaster his father ever was. The people came up and said, man, Solomon was just one huge construction project. Can we, like, back off on the construction? And he turns around. And instead of consulting the older, wiser men of his father's generation, he goes and consults the, youth, the new, younger generation. And they all say, now you take the people and you beat them. And he says, yeah, I think my dad was hard. I'm going to beat you with scorpions. I'm coming after you. You're going to do what I say because I'm the king. And it's sad. I, I wonder if, if you could just see Solomon, if, if Solomon knew what was going to happen after his death. And I believe as he's writing things like this, he can see the, the groundwork being laid that everything that he's learned is to be wasted. And you hear it to say, I've learned so much. I've been there. I saw everything in my father. And then I had to go out and try everything. And you wish, you just wish, you go, can, can I tell you something I want to show you what I've learned, and I pray that you wouldn't follow in my folly. And yet we can say that today, and so many people just look at you like you're stupid. And you can look at them, and it's almost like, well, dude, I guess you've got to go out and fall flat on your face yourself in order to figure out which end is up. And as Solomon's son failed miserably, Rehoboam, Jeroboam, this other guy comes up and splits the kingdom in half and rips it to pieces. And so if you would, a divided kingdom is what Solomon leaves. And, and, and hopefully our legacy is not uh, uh, one of a divided kingdom. But you can hear Solomon in chapter 4. He's crying out again. He says, hear my children, the instruction of a father. I'm trying to talk to you. Here, listen. Listen, it's just like I'm a father and I want to tell you and us, the reader, and anyone, he says, give attention to no understanding. I want you to pay attention, be alert, think about, to know and have a knowledge, to be able to understand some of the basic things of life. So many people fail in the basics. He says, for I give good doctrine. Do not forsake my law. He says, when I was my father's son, Tender and the only one in the sight of my mother. He says, he also taught me and said to me. And this was King David's words. He says, let your heart retain my words. Keep my commandment and live. Get wisdom and then get understanding. Do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Don't forsake her. And she will preserve you. And so the her is the wisdom, the knowledge, the, 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 
understanding. That's the her. It's personified. Love her. And, and she will keep you. If you're smart enough to be wise, if you would, this is what's going to preserve you, keep you. You love her and cherish her. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, verse 7, therefore get wisdom. And in all you're getting, get understanding. Can you almost see him shaking his finger? Exalt her and she will promote you. She will bring you honor when you embrace her. She will place on your head an ornament of grace, a crown of glory she will deliver to you. And I love this. This is a father looking at a son, uh, you know, a son, child. And he's saying, you know, son, I see that you're young. You're chasing after women. If you're chasing after women, here's a woman for you. It's called wisdom. You want to court her. You want to clean yourself up and impress her. You want to win her heart. And, and, and if, if you would do that for a, a woman, so many young men are consumed with getting a woman, then all of a sudden you could sit down and say, well, why don't you try getting wisdom? And that's what he's saying. I, I, he uses the word doctrine, verse 2. He says, for I give you good doctrine. Uh, the word doctrine simply means a teaching. It means uh, the principles. The, and he uses the words law and the words commandments. And his laws and his commandments are not talking about the Ten Commandments. It's not talking about the laws of God. He's only talking about the sense of having a, a, a fear, a fear of God. Looking at your life and, and all of a sudden respecting that there's a, a God of the universe. We talked about this earlier through Proverbs saying that that's the, the crime, is that most people just don't have that fear of God. They have no sense of respect of God. He's not saying to be afraid of God, to turn around and say, oh, you better, you better be afraid of God. And, and I know many a believer can turn around and say, well, I'm not afraid of God. I love God. God's my buddy, my pal. And, and yes, you can have an intimate relationship with God. And as we as believers don't need to run around and shudder, like, oh, here comes God, the big bad guy with the stick, and he's going to beat me. That's not what the fear of the Lord is. But, but it goes in the other direction where so many people, they live their lives, they go, God, who, ah, who cares? You don't even think that he exists. You don't even think that you were created by him, that you were, uh, uh, have a purpose in your life to live and to serve him. And, and what we sometimes have to say is like, wow, he's, he's right here. He's, he's right in front of me. And I need to start thinking of and understanding my life like, hey, there's God. That whole concept of the President of the United States walked into the room. All of a sudden, we'd say, oh, gee, he's got a secret service around him. He's got his things. And, and you know, if the president walked in, we'd all of a sudden perk up and, whoa, I'd like to go talk him. I shook his hand. Wow. You have a sense of respect for the presidency, whether he's, you know, whatever political party, he's still the president. And, and you'd still want to have a sense of awe and respect for him. And if you would do that for the president, well, then why not do that for God? God is much better than any manly president of any country. And, and there's a certain due respect that he deserves. And so Solomon is only trying to say, live your life as if you really believe that there's a God. Do you believe that there's a God? Oh, yeah. Well, why does everything in your life contradict that? Why do you so flippantly, casually 
Don't even think that he looks at you, loves you, cares about you, or that God would even think about you. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says he knows the hairs on your head. He says he's, he's constantly thinking about you. And if you had the President of the United States always saying, gee, I wonder how Dave's doing. I wonder if he did a good job tonight on the message. I wonder if he, you know, uh, had a, you know, a good day today. I wonder if he, you know, has his bills paid. You know, if the President of the United States was thinking like that about me, I'd be like, wow, you know, gee, I got a buddy in the White House. I got a friend. And yet somehow or another, if God thinks that way about us, we just go, oh, yeah, right. Who cares? I'll give him some time when, when I want to. And Solomon is saying, no, there's a, a thing of wisdom. This, this, the wisdom is when you start to fear God, to recognize he's there, and then your whole life takes a whole different shape and meaning to it. It starts to say, well, if there is a God and he cares about me, then maybe I need to start living his ways instead of my ways. And, and, and that's the beginning of wisdom. That's the beginning of the fundamentals of the laws of the universe. That's what makes everything click, is God. You put that into the formula, everything makes sense. You take God out of the formula, nothing makes sense. And so you start to wake up, and Solomon is saying, Son, 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 let me tell you one thing. You want to pursue something... You seek after that wisdom. You seek after that understanding. You chase after her like it was some woman you were just dying to date. You just want to sit down and change your life and say, wow, there's a woman here that all of a sudden struck my fancy. Well, I think I'll brush my teeth before I go out on a Friday night. I'll get a haircut. I'll clean myself up. I want to look right and act right. I want, to, I want to impress this girl. I want to be on my best behavior. If I go up and talk to her, I want to say something intelligent. I don't want to go, oh, uh, gee, uh, uh, you know, how about them Bengals, right, or something, you know. She'd look at you like you're crazy. You'd want to say something intelligent. And Solomon is saying, have that attitude. And he says, he says verse 10, hear, my son, and receive my sayings. If you're smart enough to figure this out, he says, the years of your life will be many. I have led you in right paths. When you walk, your steps will not be hindered. He says, and when you run, you will not stumble. Take firm hold of instruction and do not keep her, for she is your life. Oh, and it says, uh, take firm her and do not let go. Keep her, for she is your life. You cherish that and you hold on to that. It's something valuable in your hands. Do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it. Do not travel on it. Run away from it and pass on. There's some things in this world you have to turn your back on. There's some things that are going to destroy you. The ways of evil, the path of the wicked. Turn away from them and pass on. Verse 16, for they do not sleep. And he's talking about some people of this world. They just can't rest. They do not sleep unless they've done evil. And, and their sleep is taken away unless they make someone fall. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of the just is like the shining sun, 
that shining ever brighter uh, into the perfect day. The way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. So if you would, it's almost as if there's two paths that are laid in front of this individual. There's the path of wickedness and evil, and then there's the path of life. The path of life is light. It's like the bright day shining. You can see where you're going. The path of evil is the path of darkness. It causes people to stumble. And I don't know why, but there are people on the path that like to sit down there and drink the wine of violence. You've heard the old adage, misery loves company. And, and I, I don't quite understand that process, but there are many a person that just seem to enjoy causing misery in other people's lives. Have you ever had that person? you ever look at that person? And you go, what is it with you? You just enjoy being miserable? We had this gal, and she had five kids, and she ended up going through a divorce. And, and she just enjoyed making everyone's life miserable. I don't know, maybe part of you could look at her and say, you know, I understand your pain. You got five kids and your husband went out and had the affair and blah, 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 blah. And now you're stuck here holding the bag. And now you have to sit down there. And part of you says, oh, it's okay to be mean to me. It's okay. I understand your venting and your anger. And, and part of us see somebody who's truly hurting. And we want to be able to say, I can look past that. I'm a big enough brother to look past that. And, and there is a time to reach out to somebody and to say, you know, if you're angry because things have happened to you, that's okay. But sometimes it crosses the line where all of a sudden somebody says, well, it's not just so much that, you know, I'm hurting and I'm lashing out. But now it's like I'm lashing out and I'm enjoying watching you, the happy Christian, be miserable like me. Have you ever had anything like that happen to you where you can sit down there and say, you know, I think, and I've said this, I think I make people really upset sometimes because, you know, Dave Brown walks around with a smile on his face. And there are people that see, hey, here's little Skippy Christian, he's just smiling. And the only thing that they can say is, I want to kick him in the shins because, ooh, it just makes me mad that somebody's happy. And there are people that are in their own misery. And part of me says, oh, I understand. It's okay. You can kick me, brother. My shoulders are broad enough to handle it. But there also comes a time when you say, this is unhealthy. This can't continue where you're going to come up and just rip and destroy. I'm sorry you got five kids. I'm sorry you don't know where your next bill's going to come from. I'm sorry you're stuck in your dilemma. But let's you know, continue to keep our eyes on God. Let's not sit down there and destroy and you could see just the path of destruction that people can have as they continuously just angry, just vent out and lash out. And it's interesting what Solomon is saying. He's saying, he's saying, you look out for this. There are things that are poison to your soul. And there are people that you can hop in bed with. Pardon for the expression there, but if you're going to, as they say, lay down with the dogs, you get up with the fleas. And as you want to sit down there and hang out and be friends with certain people that are only bent on destruction, well, guess what? You know, bad company corrupts good morals. 
That's Corinthians. That's New Testament. Sometimes you look at this and say, this is not going to be profitable to me. I like the word that's used back there in verse 4. The word is, the word is to retain. He says, uh, this is what his father told me. He says, he also told me and said to me, let your heart retain my words. And the word retain, and I always think of like a retaining wall. It means to keep back. It's to hold. He says, retain my words. And, and if you thought of a, a retaining wall uh, in, in dirt area, you'd have a, a wall that you could build up, and it holds the dirt back. It says you, you're going to stay up there. And to build the retaining wall is different than building a regular wall. You can build a wall as like a fence and just hopefully you put a little footer in it, and it's going to be able to be built and to be strong enough just to stand there. And, you know, if somebody has to climb over to do certain things, it's, it's, it's okay if you just build it straight up from the ground and you kind of leave that there. Well, a retaining wall has to have a, a foundation and pillars dug into it so deep and so strong that it can actually not just stand there for the wall of in itself, but it's able to sit down and take the pressure of all the dirt and all the foundation. So if you were sitting and building your house on the side of a hill and you wanted to keep back the hill from you know, rolling down and crushing your, your, your house, you'd build a retaining wall. And this would have special foundations. Tim Wilson's here in church. He does landscaping, and, and he'll build retaining walls. He, he comes in, and he'll build your patio, and he'll, he'll say, well, you know, you just can't build a simple wall. And it's amazing how he has to build this, you know, nice little four-foot little, you know, wall. He's got a little patio on the top, and then he'll have another patio down here. And when he's got to do this, you, you know, I think, well, you just got to stack some, you know, bricks up, and everything's fine. And you see Tim go in there, and he'll start taking his backhoe, and he's digging and chomping and churning, and he's going way down deep. And then he's taking, you know, railroad ties, and he's digging them way down into the ground and to, to build his foundation so that when that wall stands there, all the way to that earth can say, you can push against me, but I'm going to retain it. I'm going to hold it. I have enough strength in me to hold that back. And, and as, as we are to be... strong enough to withstand certain trials and temptations in our life. God just doesn't want us just to be able to be, you know, to be able to stand, just to stand there. But he's saying there's going to come a whole forces of darkness that are coming against you. He's going to be saying that there are people that want to come and trip you up. You, it's, not, it's not just what you can do in your own life. We look at our life and we say, Lord, you know, I'm happy. I can get through life. I can take care of myself. Uh, we sometimes don't have to calculate and say, well, you know what? There are bigger, stronger problems than just me in this world. There are people that actually want to come against me and rip me apart. And I need to be strong enough to be able to withstand those things. And I need to retain. I need to hold back. I need to take the words of truth and say, I need to build upon this. Uh, another retaining wall would be the, the levees that were down in New Orleans. And you always hear about those things and says, well, they were built for a, you know, force or F5, F3 hurricane or whatever it is. And, and you know, and, and if a five actually hit it, they got ripped and destroyed. And, and so many times in our life, there are things that the Lord is trying to tell us to say, retain. You need to build a retaining wall. You need to be strong enough to withstand the storms of life. And we can see 
that, gee, all of a sudden, uh, when the storm comes, everyone sits there and says, wow, what happened? How come they didn't build the wall strong enough? How did this happen? And it's amazing. It's the same picture. If you think about life, there's storms out there. There are, are storms of life that come into your life that are going to come in and crush and destroy you. And what we want to be able to say, Solomon is trying to say, he's trying to say, listen to my words. Don't play with this stuff. There's things out there that you can play with that are going to eat away and destroy your foundation. And when a storm comes, you can remember the whole thing with Katrina, and you hear everybody screaming, oh, you know, we had no, what's wrong with the government? They didn't do this, they didn't do that. Somebody should have built the stronger wall. Well, you know, it was interesting. The year before any of that happened, all the scientists got together and they said, well, what happens if the F5 hurricane or... Is that, is that the tornado level, F5, or is that the hurricane? It's F5, right? What? That's a tornado. What's the force 5? Category 5, right, that's better. You got a category 5 coming in off the, you know, to, to sit down and to hit. And every one of them sitting there going, well, we see it coming, we see it coming, but we're just going to sit here. And I got such a hard time when you hear people go, well, how come they didn't tell us, and how come we didn't know, and how come they didn't prepare better? And, and you want to tell everybody, it says, well, dude, you lived there, you thought you could survive it, and you were crazy enough to, to, to stay right there in the midst of a you know, hurricane. Uh, why didn't you want to get out of there? And, 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 and that is so much of life. We say there's a storm coming. There is a, a, a hurricane the size of Texas moving one or two miles an hour. It's coming at us, and you need to build your retaining wall. You need to build that strength. You need to be strong in righteousness and wisdom. You need to be thinking about these things. Well, what happens is that so many times we get the old hole in the dike. You get the crack in the wall. And what Solomon is saying is those cracks in the wall, the things that weaken that foundation, is poor fellowship, poor friendship. And when we have decided to hop in bed with the devil, to party and to play and to do all the stupid things of life, what you're doing is you're putting cracks in that wall. You're sitting down there playing with sin. And he's saying, hey, hey, hey. He goes, you got to be careful. He says, uh, these these things, he says, they'll destroy you. He says, verse 14, Do not enter the path of the wicked, and do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it. Do not travel on it. Turn away from it and pass on. For they do not sleep unless they have done evil, and their sleep is taken away. These guys can't sleep if they haven't done anything wicked in their lives. He says, their sleep is taken away unless they make someone fall. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. And so if you could, you could see that there's this, you know, we, we want to have a retaining wall. We want to be strong against the storms of life. It's what protects us. And what he's saying is, you know, if you want to, if you want to make friends with the world, you're, you're, you're destroying that foundation. So when the storm comes, it rips you apart. And then we sit down and we says, well, God, I, why did this happen in my life? I, this isn't right. You know, I, you, you should have told me this was coming. And so many people, they, they don't care, they play with, they just laugh at the things of God until it's a day late and a dollar short. And then you go, well, what are we supposed to do? Sit there with a bottle of water and help you out as your house just got washed away? Is that going to make anything better for you? 
And, and it, you know, you hate to, you know, we want to be compassionate towards anybody in need. We want to love. We want to care. But, but Solomon's heart is, man, I have been blowing a trumpet. I am screaming as loud as I can. And I'm saying, be careful of such things. These, kids, these things destroy. He says, he says, the path of the just is like the shining sun. For those that seek and have that protection, there's a sunny day coming. The sun ever brighter into the perfect day. And if the, the more you walk towards God, the easier and better and happier life becomes. Verse 19, the way of the wicked is like darkness. They don't know what makes them stumble. He says, verse 20, he says, My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Can you hear him just, just crying out? He says, do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. Think constantly about God and his ways. For they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all diligence. Um, for out of it springs the issues of life. Put away from you a deceitful mouth and put perverse lips far from you. Let your eyes look straight ahead and your eyelids Look right before you. And I love this. He says, ponder. Open, turn on your brain and think a little bit. Ponder the path of your feet. Ask yourself that question. Where are you going? Where are you walking with your life? He says, and let all your ways be established. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Remove your foot from evil. So Solomon is just giving common sense, some practicality to a life that he's lived. And he's trying to say, man, guys, wake up, man. Don't dance with this evil stuff. Don't play with the, the sin that's in front of you. It, it rips you apart. It destroys you. Go with me a little bit into chapter 5, verse 1, and I, 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 we'll pick it up, the thought next week on it. But he, sons, he says, my son, pay attention to my wisdom. Lend your ear to my understanding that you may preserve discretion, and your lips may keep knowledge. For the lips of an immoral women, uh, woman drip honey, and her mouth is smoother than oil, but in the end she is as bitter as wor wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps lay hold of hell. Lest you ponder her path of life, and uh, her ways are unstable. Uh, you uh, do not know them. <laughs> and so you're looking at this picture of here's the uh, seductress, adulterous woman, the woman that looks so good in the magazine. And you're going, oh, man, I'd do anything for that. No. And, you know, I would cheat on my wife or do whatever I could if I had a girl like that tempting me. And Solomon's saying, man, don't even look at that. You know, you want to bite into that apple. <clears throat> he said, it's as bitter as wormwood, and it's a two-edged sword. She goes down to death and to hell. There's things you just got to stay away from, no matter how good it looks. And that's the, that's the trick. That's the deception, that inside of your life, there are things that trick you. They deceive you. You go, oh, this looks good. This looks fun. Oh, if I do this, I'll be happy if I have this. And you got to scratch your head and say, no, don't do that. You're going to destroy your life if you have that. You're, you're throwing yourself into hell for a moment of pleasure. 
There's nothing there on the other side of it. And, and, and no matter what the temptation or how good the seduction, you got to be careful. And Solomon is begging as a son. He says, pay attention to my words, verse 20, back in chapter 4 again. Don't depart from your eyes. You focus on, you look at what's true. Keep them in the midst of your heart. They're life to those, health to the flesh. He says, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Interesting that even Solomon recognizes as Jesus, it's what's in your heart. You know, the mind can trick you, the eyes can look away, but Jesus says it's out of the heart comes your sin. And your heart is where the wickedness comes from. You can say that, you know, oh, you know, I got enticed. I, I just hang around with the wrong crowd. That's why I do some wrong things. And you can look at some people and say, oh, he's a good guy, but he's hanging around with the wrong people. And, and it's almost as if you'd say, say, no, you know, it's not the people you're hanging around with. It's what's in your heart. And your heart isn't right. And if your heart isn't right, then you want to be around other people that aren't right because some people just enjoy doing evil and you want to just be around people to do miserable things. And so Solomon is saying, look at your heart. Jeremiah says it's out of the heart. It's deceitful and wicked. And he says it's sick. There's no doctor for our heart. Because what you have to do is you've got to take your heart, you've got to transplant your heart, and you've got to say, Lord, take my heart away from me Implant in me a heart of the Spirit and allow me, Lord, to seek after you. That's why we talk about being born again. That's why we want to be filled with the Spirit of God. That's why we say, Lord, I need a heart transplant. Because my heart does run after the wicked. My heart does. It's seduced and it has these things. And saying, Lord, I just want to start new. I want to seek you. And that's why he says, hey, get some wisdom. Hey, get some understanding. You, can, you just go get some. You want to say, well, where do I get it, God? How, how do I get it? Well, where is it? How do I learn? Well, fear the Lord. When you fear the Lord, you're, you're going to respect that he's here. And then you're going to say, well, Lord, I need a new heart. And Lord, I need a transplant. I need you to come in and, and take my heart away. Lord, I give you my heart. I'm asking you to come into my life and to forgive me of my sins. And then I want to brace myself as I've got the heart of God. I'm bracing myself for the storms of life that are coming. And Jesus says, he says, you know, the one who hears my words and does them is like the man who builds his house upon the rock. And the rains came and the storms come and they descend upon him. And he stands because he is built upon the rock. He says, well, the other guy who does not hear the word of God is like the man who takes his, 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 his life and he's building it upon the sand. He's building his house upon the sand. And the rains come and the storms descend and, and they, they burst against that house and they shatter it because he's built upon the sand. And, and to be built upon the rock is to say, Lord, fill me, prepare me for, for the impending storm. We're Christians we should be able to understand that there is an impending storm coming. Jesus told us, Matthew chapter 24, he says, you know what? 
he says, uh, 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 dark days are coming. The trials and tribulations are going to be there. It's going to come down upon this world. We believe that as we look towards the return of Jesus Christ, that the whole world is going to be flushing itself down the toilet, falling apart. And then Jesus comes home to return and to redeem us. The, this, and he raptures us, takes us out of this world because the world is going down hard. Turn with me, if you will. We've got a few minutes here. Turn to Matthew 24. We're all Bible students here, supposedly. Start with verse 37. talking about the return of Jesus, that it could happen at any moment. Verse 36, he says, But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. He says, But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. So Jesus Christ is coming back, and he's telling you it's going to be just like in the days of Noah. He says, verse 38, For as in the days before the flood... They were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Isn't that amazing that Jesus is saying, he says, you know, we've seen this happen in the world before where we saw that the world was flooded. And we understand in the book of Genesis, we see the story of Noah, that as God created man, uh, uh, man was you know, all over the face of the earth. God looked at man and he says, man, this is disgusting. This is retrobate what man has become. So he says, I'm going I'm to destroy them all. He raises up Noah and he says, Noah, go out and preach righteousness. And Noah's out there screaming and yelling and saying, man, God's going to flood the earth. And everyone's looking at him like, you're dumb. And it's amazing. Their attitude was, we don't care. We can be marrying and giving in marriage and, you know, ah, da, 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 and we'll just go out and get drunk and everything's fine. Well, one day it starts to rain. And as it starts to rain, Noah goes in the flood. He's prepared. He's got his self a retaining wall of the ark that supported him. And as he gets into that uh, uh, place of God's protection, you know, everyone else is drowned and flushed down the toilet. And, and you go, hey, wake up. And Jesus is saying, it's going to happen again. And it's amazing that how many people today sit back and say, oh, the coming of Jesus Christ. Oh, gee. Only weirdos believe that. And I'm telling you, I, I, I don't know. I, I got saved in Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa back in 1980 in California. Chuck Smith. And this guy was just beating the drum about the return of Jesus Christ. And I can remember he's got it painted on one of the walls as you're driving by pretty populated street, it would always say, you know, Jesus Christ is coming back soon. And I'd always read that and you go, yeah, you know, we got to be prepared for that. And the more you, you hear what Chuck Smith said 25 years ago on how he was just beating the drums and thinking it's the end of the world. And he pointed out disease and famine and he talked about politics and he talked about, you know, all these indicators of what was going on in Israel. And I can only tell you that, man, what he said 25 years ago was dead on the money of coming more true today than ever before. And, and if you could look at what Chuck Smith said 25 years ago and then look at what was happening today, you'd go, dude, this guy's a prophet, man. I mean, he's like so on the money. 
And what kills me is you can say that these things are truer today than ever before, yet somehow or another it seems so out of style to talk about the return of Jesus Christ at any given minute today. You go up and tell somebody, well, I think Jesus Christ is coming back. He could come back at any given minute, and we're all going to get raptured out of the world. They go, woohoo, you know, flaco, you're out there, wacko, well, that stuff's boring. And yet, somehow or another, you got to say, hey, there's a storm coming. There's a storm coming. And we're seeing that the hatred of man is stronger than before. We're seeing a, a, a nation of Islam with nuclear weapons that are rising up against Judaism and Christianity to plan World War III. And it's just like, you know, it's a common everyday occurrence today. It's not some far-fetched fantasy. It's not that hard to believe as so many things that are happening in front of us. And yet so many people today, more today than ever before, are like, that's why I put the sign out front, you know? It's like, Jesus Christ is coming back, you know? I almost want to say, we're one of the loony churches that believe this way, <laughs> you know? And it's like, because you know what? The storm's coming, and I'm not giving up on it. I don't want to be the, well, we'll just sit down there, and well, that people won't come to your church if they think you're one of the loonies out there. And you say, I, I'm not here to build bridges with the world. I'm not here to make friends with the paths of evil. I'm here to stand up and to say, Hey, world, there's a storm coming. I want to be prepared for when the Katrina hits. We've got our barriers. We've got the retaining walls in place. We're, re we're prepared for Jesus Christ. We're living a life of righteousness. And, and right here in the Bible, Jesus is saying, he says, it's going to be the same way. It's the same pattern. He says, he's, you know, this, this moment of rapture being taken away. Verse 40 says, two men will be in the field. One will be taken, the other left. It says, two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken, the other left. He says, watch, watch therefore, uh, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. You know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, well, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour when you do not expect. And Jesus asked the question, he says, who then is the faithful and wise servant, wise servant, for whom his master had uh, made ruler over his household to give him food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find him so doing. Assuredly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his goods. But if that evil servant says in his heart, ah, my master is delaying in his coming, he says, and begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and to drink with the drunkards, the master of that house will come on a day when he is not looking for him in an hour uh, that he is not aware of and will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So Jesus is saying, who's the wise and faithful servant here? Who's the one that's going to be saying, okay, God, God has gone away. He's come, and now he's, he's there. He's separated from us, and he's coming back. He's given you and I a sense of responsibility. There are people out there that are lost and confused and are desperate in this world. And we would rather befriend 
the people instead of tell them the truth. Jesus is saying you have spiritual food. You have God's word. You could nurture and reach out to those that are lost. You could sit down and say, hey, man, let me tell you, there's a storm coming. And Jesus says, when I do come, who's going to be faithful? But how many people today are drunk and asleep and say, hey, shut up with all that Jesus stuff. That's good for Sunday. I don't want to sit down and get too radical about it. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 the guy who's radical, the guy who's strong is the one he's going to say, man, I'm back and I see that these things are happening. We've, we've established ourselves. We're prepared. And yet it's that one thing. Notice it's that, that, that drunkenness. It's those that are going to beat the servants and not take care of those that are around him. It's a strong parable. And Jesus is looking at it. Solomon is saying the same thing. He's saying, my son, be careful with these things. They destroy you. And we as Christians need to hearken our hearts, listen to what the voice of the Holy Spirit is saying. We should be memorizing his word. We should be in prayer and we should be fighting like never before, believing that Christ could come back at any given moment. I don't know. He could come back in another thousand years. But I want to live like he's coming back today. I'm not going to fall asleep in the meantime. He says, well, Jesus isn't coming back till 3026. So, you know, let's just go party and have a good time. Now, I want to live like tonight. I'm not going to be able to make it home tonight. If I knew that I was going to die tonight on the way home from church, well, then I would hope I would give my best sermon ever. I don't want to sit down and say, well, throw some slop up there. He walked out and I was pretty upset at so-and-so. He really got on my nerves, you know, and, and get in the car and go splatter yourself down the highway. You never know when your day is there. You never know what's going to happen. And we all live like there's just eternity in front of us and we don't care. And sooner or later, it takes the wake-up call to sit down and says, man, this could easily end today. Whether Christ comes back or you're plastered all over the road and, and, and they're scraping you up off the street. And you've got to sit down there and says, man, my day of reckoning could be right in front of me. And how am I living? So I guess the question would be, well, if I was going to die today and I should give my best sermon ever, then don't you think that every sermon I should be doing that every day of my life? And what you're going to find is that you're going to be sharper, stronger, better. You're not going to allow sin to linger in your life. And sometimes we can have friends, we can party, we can go out and do things and play with sin and let it linger because we have this concept, ah, we got tomorrow to straighten it out. And Solomon's saying, son, 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 don't do this. I think Solomon, as he built his kingdom and had a massive empire, to know he could look at Rehoboam's son, he could look at all of his kids, he probably had 18 gazillion of them. He said, I don't see any of them that's worth their weight in salt here, man. Well, you know, the future looks bleak. And it's hard. It's, it's, it's hard to, to watch people. And so we, we should have that fire inside of us, that desire to go forward and to push. Amen? Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Church 860 podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed it. If you have, we ask that you would like and subscribe to the podcast so that you can get daily updates. If you'd like to know more about Church 860, please visit church860.com. Thank you. God bless.